When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting, your Monday night tradition. Hello, Wei. How you doing, John? I am doing well. Okay, good. I'm nice. doing very good. I'm doing very good. Ooh, yeah. Very this good. is a yeah. This is like a we're, we're talking seven point four territory. Wow. Why? Um, what happened? So. You've been to my place many times mm-hmm. and we have, I live on a very awkward street and at the end, it's like the intersection from hell. So in the like, best of w- times. One of the worst. It's like bad. So bad I've, that like their t-shirts made of like this bad <laughs> intersection. I actually got one for, for John's kid. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. Bad intersection. So at the best of times, it can be a headache getting out of here. So now The city of Toronto has just gone construction crazy over the last few months. I mean, anything that they can dig a hole into, they're doing in this city. So at the next major intersection, they have diverted traffic down our street. So this has led to congestion that is unreal. If you were to look at this, it's like this is a failing of a city. If you could see this street where these cars are backed up, and I am not kidding. You get to the end of my street, and by the time you can get through this intersection, you're putting in 20 to 25 minutes to get through. Oh, and you yeah. you know what drivers have a notorious reputation for? Their incredible patience. <laughs> so at all hours, we are getting honking and honking because little known tip, if you honk loud enough, all the traffic disappears. That is how it works. So our street has been going crazy. Like there is people like yelling at drivers. Uh, everyone's upset. So today there was actually a bit of a reprieve on this traffic. So automatically good news. And now one of our neighbors has put up signs at every post just making fun of these people. Stop your damn honking. It doesn't help anything. And anyway, it's it's more amusing than anything. We will see if this uh, traffic situation continues, but it's been rather amusing. Um, great on on your neighbor for doing that. I I think it's absolutely really necessary. Um, you know, I will say, I'm not here to defend the the drivers, of course, but I will say because the intersection is so confusing, there's an advance right that like. You look oh, at the it's, layout. It's terrible. You if you are not familiar with it, I don't expect people to understand. Like this is one of those crazy three-way uh, intersections that, like, you need to study before you go through an intersection like that and learn how it works. So, unless you've had experience going through this inter- intersection and being honked at, like I have been trying to get out of your place, like you, most people approaching it for the first time don't know to take that advance right because it's it, it, like. Makes you think that you're going right into oncoming traffic. It's it's super weird. So that's what the honking I think is more so for, like for to tell people go on this damn right, you idiot. Like you know we're already stuck here like long enough. If you don't take this advance right, we're gonna stuck be stuck here even longer. But um, it's just 
Um, but certainly, like, I feel so much sympathy for anybody who lives on that street um, right next to all this all day. It's And, and so those signs are, are really great. I just, man, something needs to be done about that intersection in, in general. It's just, it's just a mess. My favorite video of all time now is uh, <laughs> my wife got this video that she sent to me. Maybe you saw it as well. I did. And, and it's Max running out onto the onto, outside and yelling at the driver, stop honking. Stop honking. <laughs> it's the best. I think he specifically said, <laughs> your no honking is working. <laughs> he meant to say, put the no somewhere else. It was adorable. Yes, it's very good. He's uh, he's he's getting very good now with uh, <laughs> with sentences and like the other day he was like he just jet past me and he was like I have no time and he just whoosh get me out of the way. He's like very uh, knows exactly what his uh his his time limitations are. So don't don't bother me. Oh man, that's he's setting himself up for a a career in broadcasting. That's for sure. Potentially. How was your weekend? I think it was good, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. Um You had no pay per views to watch. It yeah, was a it was, it was nice. a moderately, moderately quiet weekend, unless you were watching uh Talking Shop Mania or Impact. Impact had a pretty notable show. Yeah, I don't you know, I really don't think I watched any wrestling. I started watching the show uh, Queen's Gambit on Netflix. So. Man, everyone's watching this thing. I hear it's amazing, but I haven't spent a second watching it. I think it's gonna bring chess back, you know? I think chess. I mean okay. chess. Yeah. I don't even I don't even know what it's about. Well, it's, 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 it's about, ch- it's not just about chess. It's like chess is sort of like the, the framework and, and, and sort of like the theme that's, that's used to tell, I mean, a bigger story, but a lot of it is, is about this like chess prodigy from the sixties. And it's just, yeah, it's just like very well done stylistically. And the idea of like these long action scenes based around a completely silent chess game is to me really interesting. And I think they do it really well. So uh, I think it's going to like make chess be like this really trendy thing. I started watching this new uh, romantic comedy on Netflix called Dash and Lily. Okay. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty silly. It's about these two New Yorkers that are going to magically find one another over the Christmas season. And this may read like it's at most a 70 minute movie, but no, it is like eight episodes long. And what happens is dash our main character. He is in a bookstore and comes across a random book that has been placed here by this girl, this mysterious woman with clues in it to find out who she is. This could so go sideways and be like a horror f- film, but it is a romantic comedy, and it's we're three episodes in, and it's um, I don't know, it's it's a weird show. Interesting. Okay, um, not the mo- not the most realistic way to to meet somebody, or if anything, it's like a cautionary tale. Like this is probably not how sh- you should meet someone, and it officially hit me watching this show of how weird our brains are going to be to watch. Like, do you find like when you're watching like regular shows or movies now that like your COVID brain, you can't turn off as in like, Oh, why aren't these people wearing masks? 
Or like, why, why are, are like all these apart? people in this small used bookstore without masks? It's like it's weird. It's going to take us months to deprogram ourselves from this state that we're in. It, it, I definitely do think about it from time to time. Um, I guess it depends on the show. Like if I'm watching like The Mandalorian, I'm not really thinking that. I mean, I guess they do wear masks anyway so on, on, on Star Wars. But um, yeah, maybe if it's a real world situation type of thing and it looks current, it looks like it's, it's a present day. The thought would enter my mind briefly, yeah. Okay, well, that's what is all going down there. If you're not watching Dash and Lily or The Mandalorian or Queen's Gambit, maybe you want to check out our schedule at postwrestling.com. And I guess I can state off the top that uh, this will be uh, my last show for a while. I will be doing Ask Away on Tuesday. So for our patrons, uh, you can suffer through one more show of me, but then... That's it, way. I've I've been written off of post wrestling. I am uh, I am taking a bit of a uh, you're retiring a break. You're announcing <laughs> it right here. You're done. Yeah, uh, I w- I will be back. I will be returning. A date to be determined. But yes, I've been uh, planning this break for some time. I I wanted to take it a while ago, but way refused to grant me such time off. <laughs> I have whittled him down. I have broken his spirit. He finally said, "Fine, go away." And that is what I'm doing. So I, I will be off for uh, for some time. But we have some some fantastic uh, people filling in. That way will be holding down the fort, and you're going to be joined by many voices. I think I think a, there's a, a been a collective um, a, sigh of relief. No, a sigh of like disappointment. When I mean, it sounds way more ominous than I think it actually is. It's it's really not, John's. You're not going to be away for that long by the end of it. No, all. at least I don't. I don't think so. But yeah, in your place, uh, for you know, for however you know, couple weeks or so or whatever, no, no limit, of course, um, is going to be several people from our network of friends to help fill in John's very big shoes, and I'm very pleased to announce who we got coming up. So starting on Wednesday, a lot of good feedback to this person joining me a couple weeks back. So I'm going to bring him back on to help me review AEW Dynamite, and that'll be Bruce Lord. So he'll be joining me for Rewind to Dynamite on Friday on the Post Wrestling Cafe for Rewind to SmackDown. Uh, very pleased to welcome this guy who watches pretty much every single wrestling show that ever exists uh, right now. His name is John Ceno. You know him from A Shot in the Dark. You know him as a up next uh, you know, social media producer. Uh, he is, just has a great grasp of everything that's out there. He's got a talking shop to report on our website right now. Uh, so we're going to make him suffer through uh, WWE SmackDown, which isn't really all that. I, I wouldn't say so. Crazy. Like SmackDown, it's like one of my favorite shows right now. Well, somebody we are going to perhaps um, make suffer uh, through three hours of WWE Raw Mondays will be brother Nate Milton. He'll be joining me next Monday in John's place as we go through Raw after Survivor Series. Uh, so that leaves really just uh Survivor Series on Sunday, and joining me for this very special show, very happy to announce the return of Mike Murray, oh, as, wow. as well, joining the two of us, W.H. Park. Oh, shit. Reviewing. You, how the hell did you convince W.H. to watch you know, a WWE pay-per-view? Took, took, a, took quite a bit. Took quite a bit. But um, uh, W.H. Park talking about main roster WWE TV is something that I've been looking forward to ever since we did a review of what was it SmackDown way back yeah in, we did we did we did SmackDown back in uh, uh when was that eight years ago 
<laughs> it was back in Japan in January. So we're gonna, you know we're gonna get his update on. Uh, I don't. I I really don't think he's been keeping up with any of this stuff. So um, perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly the type of reaction I want. So join us on Sunday for that. Uh, WH Park and Mike Murray joining me for our Survivor Series post show. That'll be live for all Double Double Plus patrons, and then the show will be available for free for everybody afterwards. Uh, so the entire schedule is up at postwrestling.com. Looking forward to all of those shows. Uh, postwrestlingcafe.com, postwrestling.com, uh, all the usual shows coming out this week. And as I said, we do have Ask Away, the November edition coming out Tuesday evening. Oh, before we forget, uh, Saturday, as mentioned, uh, the aforementioned, uh, Nate Milton will be back with the Rocky My Via Picture Show Saturday morning. Uh, do you know his guest this week? He is going to be joined by two guests. He is going to be joined by Shane McDonough and Chris from L.A. to review the 2015 classic San Andreas. Ooh. And then in the evening, we've got Phil Chertok and Eric Marcotte for our UFC 255 post show. And I believe... Phil is planning on doing a live stream, uh, a live streaming yeah. um, post show. Yeah, they'll, watch along. They'll, they'll be streaming live at the Post Wrestling YouTube channel, and then I think you can hang out with them in the Discord uh, chat oh. throughout the pay per view. Cool, very cool. So there you go. Discord, uh, you can just join. Go to postwrestling.com. The button's right there. Free to join, and you can hang out with all the post listeners as they watch the UFC 255 pay per view. Let's talk about some news. Uh, not too much stuff to go through today, but I would say the big story way is all of the fallout from Zelina Vega's release on Friday, which we which we talked about pretty extensively on Rewind to SmackDown. On Monday, uh, reporter John Elba of Spectrum Sports uh, got a comment from Gabrielle Carteris as Andrea Zuckerman enters the wrestling news space. Uh, she is the president of SAG-AFTRA, uh, and she stated, wrestling is as much about media as it is sports, and we are going to directly engage with members of this profession to help find ways for them to protect themselves. As more people reinvest in unions and as more working people are harassed by employers who don't want to protect them, SAG-AFTRA is committed in doing what we can to help professional wrestlers secure the protections they deserve. You know, this thing continues to really snowball and build up steam, and um, I'm not really familiar with, I think, like how powerful... This this person might be, but obviously everybody knows SAG, and um, it's it's another step closer to this like continuing to break very much into the mainstream. I don't really know if it's there yet, you know. Like certainly, you have people like Andrew Yang talking about it last week tonight did a segment on it, or, or way back did they? Yeah, they did even before the Saudi Arabia thing, didn't they? Didn't they, they they've lo- they've looked at at these like topics, yes. Okay. Um, but I mean, it still very much kind of ex- exists on the on the fringe. Um, so WWE has really been able to get away with it for as long as they they can. But it continues to snowball with actions like these, and um, you know we'll we'll see like at what point it, it really builds to until WWE actually has to you know takes takes some course of action. Yeah, and and I think for for a lot of people, myself included, like I think it would really benefit like kind of learning a lot of this like these labor practices and what the the next steps entail. Like on the surface, you would look at options being like, are we talking about reclassifying these performers as employees or would it be something of if they are labeled as independent contractors, then are they allowed a lot more rights than they currently are benefiting from? And those to me would be the two options 
from, you know, uh, someone that is not a lawyer that would assume are some of the options that we're looking at. But most of all, this takes buy-in from the talent. Like there has to be that kind of, you know, unity among performers pushing for this because, you know, as we have seen with efforts in mixed martial arts that, you know, just a small group of people are not going to be able to push this through. And that becomes something very difficult in an industry that is so individually driven, yet this is something that will take a collective to push through. Like we look at, you know, if one person, we, we may get a pool of people that privately are complaining about this, but when push comes to shove, will that entire group stand up and and do this, knowing that there are countless people that will step in and will take those spots. Like this is something that I have always been very pessimistic can actually happen in MMA, in pro wrestling, but it's, it is something that that's getting a lot of spotlight today. And I, I hope it continues, but it, it's going to take a lot uh, more than, than just simply uh, a couple stories being written in different places. The chances of somebody currently employed by the WWE to, you know, just go out there to say something I think are really small. And I think, you know, a decision like letting Zelina Vega go is, uh, you know, directly there to send a message to anybody else who's who might be even considering, you know, opening up a, an OnlyFans or not shutting down their Twitch channel and not obey, obeying, you know, their, their requests. But I think it's really interesting to see what AEW's response will be and people currently contracted to AEW, like... Certainly, like, I wonder if you were to ask Tony Khan how he feels about this. I don't know if he would be necessarily for it. While at the same time, like, we've seen AEW have, like, a real kind of, um, I don't know, uh, at least, like, they, they, they seem to promote a bit more of a conscience about them when it comes to things like this. Uh, they've said their talent can have Twitch channels and, and all those things. But, you know, how far does that conscience extend? Does it extend to you know, uh, unions. Um, and if, yeah, like what's their response to it all you think? Well, listen, like if we're just comparing the two, I mean, you know, we, we recently were talking about that fact that, you know, in, in AEW, like it's, it's a little known thing that, you know, such like your, your hotel and your trans are all covered. You know, that, that's something that is, is not necessarily applicable in, in WWE as well. I don't know if you're, necessarily going to get the same groundswell when you're when you're comparing companies where your degree of flexibility as an independent contractor is going to vary. I would say WWE is going to be the most the most stringent and controlling as compared to, you know, an Impact Wrestling where th there's a lot of flexibility if you're a performer. If you're an AEW, uh, that doesn't disqualify you from being able to take bookings elsewhere. Um there's more of a sense of um of an independent contractor having those abilities uh, when we're talking outside of WWE. But that's not to say that there are, you know, arguments that we can apply to other companies uh, as well with, with all of this. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a big story, but certainly like, I think more and more people are now becoming aware of like perhaps how, you know, um, how abusive the WWE has been uh, in trying to enforce whatever it's been trying to enforce um, just kind of skirting around the, the, the outsides of, of, of the law in, in when it comes to something like this. So um, I, I look forward to more discussion about it from people that perhaps are, you know, more qualified to have a discussion about labor law and things like this uh, than you or I. Um, and I, I want to see this continuing to be a talking point. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think also, like, on the other side of this, like, we talk about um, talent being able to acquire and use leverage. And sometimes that occurs through having available options that are out there for them and being able to, to, to use that to benefit their circumstances. Like on the other side of the coin, you may disagree with it fundamentally. The WWE is in a system where they are going to use every ounce of power and leverage that they have for their number one priority that is running their business. And if they have a workforce that is not going to push for collective bargaining, that is not going to push these buttons, like they are going to size up how much muscle they have and they're going to make a move like this where Zelina Vega is let go. And is there going to be a groundswell of people complaining or are ultimately are people going to fall in line and follow this third party restrictions that they've introduced like that is what the company is going to do you can disagree all you want but that is what a wwe is going to do that is what a ufc is going to do when they have the available resources and they're going to exploit those resources the other um interesting kind of a bit of information i i, I thought came out today was justin barrasso's article in uh sorts illustrated where he yes. mentions that he that it was the only fans account that I guess was maybe the the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, in t- in terms, of, yeah, like I mean, if you look at that, here is someone that was, you know, continuing to use like third party applications that that was clearly what they wanted to have stopped. And even though OnlyFans was not mentioned, but I mean, I suppose the message was messaging was pretty clear. Like if you weren't able to open up a cameo nor Twitch. I suppose like they would have assumed that would have extended to OnlyFans as well. I think so. Um, and, you know, you can look at all the ways that, you know, talent wanted to try and get around this, whether it be name changes or uh, trying to find different uh, outlets to, to, to derive revenue from. Like it was pretty clear what WWE wants here. They do not want their talent out there uh, utilizing these these services and that i would assume extends to only fans which i would imagine you're not going to see any other wwe talent popping up on only fans no no but you know what does this mean for like people with like on instagram that sometimes do um you know what is it supplement uh i don't know ads or any sort of like you know promotional ads um like i know there's like a like or, or you know like for instance um sheamus i think like does Sometimes he does reviews of like weight training equipment. You know, does it extend to things like that too? I think that this opens Pandora's box for all of that. How are you deriving income on these other places that WWE is not getting getting a cut of this? Like this is pretty pretty monumental in the sense that they are decreeing that your your ability to make money on the side, it all has to be done under the the WWE umbrella. And Listen, what it comes down to is you having that ability to sit down and when your contract is coming due, I, I think it's a pretty daunting task for a lot of talent that many are of the belief that I can be replaced tomorrow, but pushing like in your contract, you have it in writing that I have the ability to do these things. And if they are adamant, no, you are not going to be allowed to do this. Are you willing to walk away from that deal? They're banking on the fact that you will not walk away from that and that you will you will give up the ability to have uh, outside 
advertising and to do other projects and such, it, it comes down to, you know, what you, what leverage you believe you have. Man, like, well, I could say like most people, you know, being offered a WWE contract, certainly somebody like Zelina Vega at the time when she was offered it, maybe even up, you know, now if she were brand new, I don't know if they would have any sort of leverage and or power to be able to make any sort of demand, you know? Okay. But a year ago, when WWE was throwing out huge contract offers, they did not want to lose anyone. And if you are a, if you were like, throw out your names of who they were, like they were actively, like significantly trying to keep the revival. Like there, that, that's your card to play is that you want to have all these other things worked into your contract. When, when Bret Hart was, you know, going way back and his deal was coming due when he ended up getting that monstrous 20-year contract. I mean, he put in things there like Bret Hart, uh, it, Twitch. Well, Bret not Hart not Twitch, thing. but here here's a guy who got creative control over the final 30 days of his contract. Right. That's and pretty, look how that turned out. You know, like and and that's Bret Hart. Like how many instances of that are you going to get? Even the revival. I mean, if you're talking about like the revival's coming co- contract coming up in 2020, that's very different from it coming up in in 2019. Okay, but that's I mean, th- that's again, like are you even when like I I would say like there is uh, among talent, I think that they at times will underestimate their ability to be able to negotiate and that deep down the company does not want to have, you know, People that they have put a lot of resources into. I think even like mid-tier acts. Like I would say, you know, an AJ Styles when his deal was – AJ was in a phenomenal position, pardon the pun, last year when when his deal was coming due. Uh, timing is a big thing uh, when it comes to these contracts. But I think what we're looking for is a system where it's not simply being able to be of the benefit of – timing and that x amount of guys might be able to have this leverage it's that there's more sense of collective bargaining to the point that talent maybe does not need to do all this stuff in their off time that they are getting you know if if you could talk about a day when you have a a wwe wrestlers association that has x percentage of television rights like that could be enormous light night and day earnings if you are getting just a couple percentage points of that television revenue the guys that i think are capable of making those requests and those demands i i feel the majority of them are probably being compensated pretty handsomely like that includes people like aj i I, you know again i don't know if that would extend to somebody who like as a lead in vega if, if her contract were to be up well, it's it's a discussion that's going to continue, and I think that there is a a, a lot that, that comes out of this. And ultimately, six months from now, will we still be talking about this, or will this be a momentary glimpse at the state of labor relations in professional wrestling, and the next story breaks, and it's on to the next story? Like, media members can talk about this till they are blue in the face, but this comes down to, like, the talent that has to be able to organize and push this through. And it's it's been the same, like, watching this in MMA as well, that people will... In MMA, you get fighters that will complain much more openly uh, on the record about their pay. But again, it's, have you joined Project Spearhead? Have you looked at the available options that are out there from the few that have pushed for it? 
And for most, they will look at a Leslie Smith who has put herself out there to try and get this stuff going. And she wasn't offered a new contract from the UFC. Like it was a very clear message that was sent to Leslie Smith and that was done. And I think it scared many fighters that, hey, I don't want to be that person that rocks the boat. And I think that very much extends to pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. Friday Night SmackDown, um, they did 2,234,000 viewers. Uh, They were just down slightly from last week's viewership, a 0.6 in the 18 to 49 demo. So they were tied for second among network programming in the demo. Uh, This was the show that, unlike the previous week, didn't have anything advertised in advance, but it was a, a show that did have several strong elements to it with the final chapter match between Ray and Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre appearing and wrestling. So it was their second highest viewership since September 11th. And they did 138,200 viewers in Canada, number three among sports programming behind coverage of the masters. So uh, while not higher than the week prior, um, this was still a good number for SmackDown. And I would say that, you know, if they had had, you know, several days to promote several of the uh, aspects to the show, I think this number could have been slightly higher. I think it could have been on par with the week prior. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm honestly actually surprised that um, it did as well, given that, like, that we had so little promotion of, like, several big things. But I have to imagine, I guess, you know, people who did tune in sticking around because you had Drew McIntyre, you had Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio, maybe that made a difference. They did on this week, though, you know, I saw at least, you know, one or two ads promoting Murphy versus Seth Rollins. Yeah. So we'll we'll see yeah. how Friday does. Yeah. So I, I would say I haven't seen the quarters, but if you tuned into those first 15 minutes, I mean, they laid out for you like you're getting Rollins and Ray tonight and they set up Drew and Jay Uso that, you know, it, it felt like a, you know, they laid out a lot, but that was contingent on people tuning in at the beginning. AEW has added a contract signing. For Dynamite, this is interesting. They're going to have two performers that are going to be meeting in a match. But beforehand, they're going to sign a document that binds them to having this match. I thought this was really unique. Um, well, um, what could go wrong? Actually, in AEW, have, like, they don't always... Like, how many contract signings have they done? And they don't usually fall into, like, the sort of, like, the tropey you know a chaos ever ensues type of thing right like it might just be a i think it, honestly it's just an excuse for guys to cut promos well that's that that should be what it, what it's for and it yeah. should be a big segment between john moxley and kenny omega which uh they are doing a deal where they haven't sold out all their tickets for wednesday show at daily's place but if you buy tickets for the show this wednesday you'll be i think you'll be uh You'll able to you'll be able to buy tickets for the December second show ahead of other people. So they're trying to make that enticing for you to be able to like be first in line to get tickets for the Moxley Omega Week. Mm, right. Uh, what else do we have on AEW on Wednesday? They pretty much have the whole lineup here: Darby Allen and Cody against Ricky Starks and Brian Cage, Pack against the Blade, Young Bucks versus Top Flight, Serena D versus Thunder Rosa, Thunder Rosa for the NWA Women's Championship. Kip Sabian against Orange Cassidy and the inner circle slays Las Vegas. There, uh, there were po- photos posted of them being already there. So yep. yeah, they're actually in Vegas filming, filming these segments. NXT has just announced Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley for the women's title, which is a pretty big match for NXT. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did a prime target on Wednesday for it. So yeah. 
And the final item here, Way, I just want to – I'm always selective with the MMA ones. It's like, what, what will Way be intrigued by? Well, the PFL, the Professional Fighters League, they have signed former UFC heavyweight champion Fabrizio Verdum. So pretty pretty sizable signing for uh, PFL. Verdum is Sorry, 40- anytime I hear the PFL, I still think about the Pill Fight League. So I, I still have to <laughs> – Fabricio Fabricio Verdum is not going to the Pillow Fight League. Uh, it will be uh, their upcoming season, which will begin in April. Uh, so Verdum is 43 years old now. Uh, he did fight earlier this year, beating Alexander Gustafsson. So he's he is leaving the UFC on a win. But this this was quite the line in the PFL press release today. A quote from their CEO Peter Murray: "I am excited to announce Fabricio Verdum, comma." The Tom Brady of MMA has signed with the Professional Fighters League. The <laughs> Tom Brady of MMA, Fabricio Verdum, which is like Fabricio Verdum is like a really big signing for the PFL. But it's like you it's like dynamite last week. OK, pack returning was a real big thing to end the show with. But when you say that the balance of power of wrestling is going to shift, you have set the bar so high and by this line being used, you have taken aim at the person reading this to immediately say, fuck off. Well, I'm not much of a football fan, but I can only assume that Tom Brady means what? Like the Michael Jordan of MMA? Well, what, what's a sports figure you would actually equate Fabricio Verdum to? Fabricio Verdum would be I'm, – I'm going to tailor it to your, to your uh, specific sports uh, – Knowledge. Recall, okay? So he would have been, I would say Fabrizio Verdum would have been the Joe Carter of the Toronto Blue Jays if you were signing him like in like 95, 96. That's a heck of a specific reference, but okay. Appreciate it. I mean, doesn't sound like that big of a deal. So I can see why they went with Tom Brady. All right. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com. And uh, Andrew Thompson might be uh, stopping by some of the shows. Yes, actually. I forgot to mention, but Andrew Thompson will be delivering news updates uh, for all the shows that we had just talked about. Rewind to Dynamite, Rewind to Raw, Rewind to SmackDown. So a lot of Andrew Thompson to come, not just on the audio shows, but all over the websites in John's place. It takes a whole village to do John Pollock's job, but uh, everybody will be chipping in. Uh, and Andrew also has an interview with Myron Reed on Tuesday, the MLW middleweight champion. He'll be talking about MLW's return this Wednesday. Uh, they are back with their new episodes of Fusion. So check that out Tuesday, postwrestling.com. And from there, we will go on to Raw from Monday night, a pretty big edition of the show. The way I thought that this Raw, it might just make you sick to your stomach. Let's <laughs> uh, hope not. Well, Drew McIntyre started the show, just like he started SmackDown. And he explained to us that he loves Thanksgiving. And he explains what he's thankful for. You know what he's thankful for, Way? A lot of things. The Thunderdome. <laughs> the Thunderdome bringing us closer together. I think, that's, tell, I think that's why Thanksgiving was created. You know. The uh, pilgrims, they, they really just, you know, they, they needed a place to do whatever pilgrims do, and they created the Thunderdome. <laughs> I'm just imagining him with like his extended family at the table. It's like, on this Thanksgiving, they're all holding hands. Let us all give thanks 
to the famous group for designing the Thunderdome. Yes. The greatest spectacle in entertainment for the WWE universe. <laughs> hey, um, so, so how long do you think they still have in this thing? Sounds like only a couple of weeks, and then they'll be moving locations. And they'll still probably call it the Thunderdome, right? I would imagine they're going to keep with the branding and just, you know, find find another place to stage it. I mean, it's it's just finding a a place that that can hold it. Um right. and I don't see why they would change the naming or anything like that. Right. Okay. So he says uh he's going to win the title tonight and then go on to face Roman Reigns and claymore him back to earth, which might be the next cinematic match. Orton appears on the screen. He's thankful for being a 14-time WWE champion. These guys would be the guests to have for Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He was fined last week for putting his hands on Adam Pierce, but the fine didn't phase him. I've been getting fined for 20 years, more than any WWE star. I've been suspended more than anyone else. And I've spent more time sitting on my couch under suspension than 80% of the roster has spent inside the ring. It's quite the thing to be proud of, uh, yeah. to be thankful for, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he can talk about all his, um, yeah, like they, they, they kind of redid the wellness policy, which was for a time period known as like, the Randy Orton rule so that they could get around the three strikes and you're out. Uh, sure. So he's got all these things, you know, of all times, you know, he's, he's dropping like numbers, stats, percentages. This was the year for him to get into the observer hall of fame because man, this was the promo where he might've snuck that in. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are his chances? Oh, well, they were less than 60% this year, at least in terms of the votes. <laughs> He's still here. He's still the best. I am the greatest wrestler ever. And Drew promises that he's not going to crash off the Hell in a Cell. He's going to crash his foot off Randy's head, and he will once again be WWE champion. So setting the stage for our main event, which you were correct in way, they did put it in the, the main event slot to close the show. Mm. You know, when you look at these two promos side by side, I mean, it felt a little obvious like who had planes with that championship belt beyond tonight and who didn't you know McIntyre here was already promoting that Roman Reigns match and Orton I thought cut this like rather convoluted yet like pretty generic promo about being the greatest wrestler ever um somehow because he happens to have been fine more than anybody else so I mean you know, and that's not even a criticism. Sometimes I want these things to be predictable and play out the way that they should. But you could you could see the seeds already being laid for a Drew victory early on. I can't even remember Orton uttering Roman Reigns' name no, throughout these couple all. of weeks. Mm -hmm. like, there was nothing geared towards that. The Miz and Morrison then come out. They note it's November 16th, so they plug that Miz and Mrs. is on after Raw. And they're going to be sitting front row tonight for the title match, which they would not be. And... Tonight will be the Miz's night. They talk about the patience level of Drew and Miz and Morrison then bail to the floor. Miz threatens that he will be the last one laughing tonight, regardless of whether Drew wins or loses. Uh, and they continue to have a big laugh at Drew's expense. And Miz and Morrison uh, would not make it to the main event, but more on that later. 
Yeah, this was Miz setting up uh, his interaction with The Fiend later today, you know, continuing to kind of like put all the pieces on the table as as far as who is still in the title picture. Um, but man, it's like he I think he does a pretty good job of being this, you know, annoying comedy jester. But man, I think ultimately it's such a waste to put the money in the bank on him because there's no way anybody can really buy him as any sort of legitimate threat for that championship. Um and I, I do wonder if they're going too comedic with him. Not to say like him being serious all of a sudden would make me feel any differently about it, but because they continue to lean so comedic with the Miz, it just like it, it, no, it it'd, it'd be an awful decision to to put the title on him. I mean, it's either you just have the champion destroy this guy, or he loses the briefcase to someone else, and I, I would be fine with the latter. Um, yeah, I don't. Th- there's a version of the Miz that could. Um, that, that that can work in this level, uh, mm-hmm. and they're not presenting him like that. It's like he's a total uh, he's joke. A yeah, if he wins this title, it's to the detriment of the title. Like it's it's very. I mean, it's it's better than Otis because you know Miz can at least cut promos. His rank is at least a little bit higher, but not by that much. Backstage, Lana is teaming tonight with Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, and this was Lana's idea. She says that she earned her spot, and she wants to have Baszler and Jax take her seriously, and thus she's going to prove this was not a fluke that she made it onto the team. And unlike Randy Orton last week, Lana won't refuse to tag in. Baszler tells her, this match is about us proving that we run the division, and Nia says Lana is not allowed to tag in tonight. She is just to stand there. So the three of them were taking on Asuka, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke. Mandy and Dana, they're... uh, what they do for their pose is they stand together and they flex their arms. Well, they're impressive. They're impressive arms. Um, yes. Yeah. This has been a very impressive move for Mandy from Friday to Monday. Mm, yeah, it's definitely a downgrade, I would say, from, you know, uh, the summer when she was doing that stuff with Sonya and Otis. Uh, unfortunately, there's neither of those are not like on the show. Um yeah, I, I don't really know what their plans are. I think ultimately they want to push her as a single star, but she's not necessarily ready yet. So instead you kind of have this little, I don't know, side side team. Early on, Nia stomps Mandy's elbow and she screams on the floor. When we come back from break, she has disappeared and they explain she's out of the match. And then Baszler rolls through and then stomps Dana Brooks' elbow and... Baszler, from there, applies the Kirifuda Clutch after Asuka has entered the match. Lana tags herself in, therefore Baszler can't end the match with the submission. And Lana goes for the cover on Asuka, who kicks out, head kick, and puts Lana in the Asuka lock. And Lana taps out in seven minutes, blowing it for their team. Nia clears the desk, but then she turns things around and tells Lana that she showed courage tonight. And says, welcome to Team Raw. But... It's just a ploy. You know why? Because she yelled, psych, and put her through the desk for the ninth time. Oh, was it the ninth? I thought it was the tenth. I think it was the ninth. Oh, so then we still have a ways to go, I think. Oh, we have to get to ten? Well, at least. I'm thinking thirty. I mean, as a viewer, at the end of these segments, you're you're still probably left laughing at Lana. Um, the way you probably would have felt every single week this has happened. So, I don't, it, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel sympathetic for this person. 
you know, if that is the intent here. Um, they're likely setting up a big spot for Lana in the Survivor Series match itself. You know, maybe she ends up being the sole survivor or something, but it's um they're putting a lot of time and effort into this Lana story. She's got more attention than anybody else uh on either team heading into the Survivor Series match. So I I don't know. I think they just the idea of pushing Lana like as this poor girl being bullied when she spent the entirety of her WWE career as that sort of bully. I just I just don't think it's gonna work. Maybe it's kind of an overdone spot, but maybe midway through the match, Naya puts her through the desk and then the match continues and we just forget about Lana. And all of a sudden she's the last remaining member of her team. That's how she won that battle royal, right? Uh, it's exactly how she won the battle royal was we forgot about her and she's still there. I, is that going to make you want to cheer for her? Of course, way this, that will be worth all of these table spots. Yeah, I don't. I just think this like the idea here is really strange to me. But maybe they've got a great idea for a finish at, at the Survivor Series. You know what my prediction is? That uh, they're running a chronicle on Lana, and I'm going to predict that in those thirty thirty minutes, however long it is, uh, that will be a better babyface story for Lana uh, than these table spots have been. Oh, I I will glad I will not go against you on that bet. That's uh. Almost a guarantee. Unless it's like Lana saying, I'm just so grateful to be here. I mean, I don't have to win. I've already made it. Or maybe she'll be having a really heartfelt explanation of the trials and tribulations. She'll be crying, and then she'll look up the camera and go, psych! Psych. I still say that. I have not said psych (laughs) since I was um, seven. I mean, what do what do people say now? Instead of that, if you wanted to use that same phrase, um, I'm lying. <laughs> I completely took your faith in me to convey an honest conversation. I'm totally full of shit. Would that be the equivalent? I'm a liar. <laughs> I'll have to look that up in Urban Dictionary. No, in in pro wrestling, there's no such thing as lying. You're working. <laughs> yes, I was just working, man. The men's team is in the back. AJ's calming them down. He notes it's been a bumpy road. Their egos have gotten in the way. They need to come together because Survivor Series is on Sunday. And you all hate to lose. So they AJ has set them up for a tune-up match against the tune-uppers retribution. And then AJ, he's gone to your, your local uh <laughs> where you, where you'd get like your 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 team baseball shirts. He has gotten raw shirts made for all of them. You what? You he can't. He had to go to the baseball thing. He didn't. What do you mean? They they probably have like boxes of these. Um, perhaps maybe these are the the hand me downs from last year. Riddle has a nickname for Big Jordan, but AJ tells him don't look up at him, and then Riddle refers to him as almost. I and replayed this several times. I have no I idea what this dude was saying. Yeah, I was ready for Andrade to point to pop out, and we'd have Andrade almost again. Yes, but like, what could it have possibly been? Almost, almost. How would that? Al- how would that make almost? sense? I heard almost. That's what I assumed it was. I heard almost too. And the guy left as if it was like this big punchline he was so proud of. 
Like, what what could you have possibly meant that you would have been that proud? Um, that sounds like Almas. Yeah, AJ asks, do you even speak English? And he finally speaks and says, of course I do. You never asked. The punchline being, oh my god, he's so tall, he talks? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, uh, hilarious. Yeah. What a concept. <laughs> I mean, geez, like these everybody on all of these teams, in the men's and the women's survivors series teams, everybody's just kind of being portrayed as like children, right? Like they're all just kind of one note, one dimensional. You know, here's the guy who makes nicknames. Here's the guy who's really tall. Here's the guy, a uh, team captain who keep, can't keep these other idiots from fighting with each other. Um, What what AJ should have said was, "Oh hell, you even speak English," and his response would be, "Do you?" <laughs> Just as funny as what they went with. Dana Brooke is outside the trainer's room. She's speaking with Charlie. Rose is in rough shape, and then Dana gets attacked by Reckoning, who drills her, uh, booting her into the equipment case, and. This would result in both Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke yanked from the Women's Survivor Series team. They're gone. Yeah, just like that. Um, For whatever reason. Do you think there's more to the story? Like what? Or are they just trying to build up a, something with Reckoning? Or what, what do you think? I mean, th- this could have just been a shift because obviously it's not injury related. They were just in a match. Mm-hmm. It's not COVID related. They were on the show. Mm-hmm. So, um I don't know what the other circumstances could have been. I mean, it's possible, but this seemed like it was just two out, two in. Yeah, really interesting. Pretty unusual. Maybe they're the just fire- building up to Nia and Shayna because they just they were putting the blame on on those two, even though it was like reckoning here that was you know uh, that caused the ultimate injury to Dana. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it's possible that maybe you know they are gearing these two up to challenge for the tag titles. Oh, I would women's... assume so. They're the only like legitimate tag team. By process of elimination, they're the challengers, and maybe the Raw team is not going over. They just don't want to beat them. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Firefly Funhouse, Bray wants to help The Miz, and Alexa Bliss suggests that they have a match tonight. And Bray says, you don't want to see my bad side, in case he has to repeat himself. And then he trains for The Miz match. Through agility, spelling, of which he had to spell the word jackass, and he spells it M-I-Z. Then does accuracy, where he ends up throwing a dart into the head of Ramblin' Rabbit. And that was our setup for tonight's match. You know, um, when Alexa Bliss says, oh, bullseye, more like rabbit's heart. I chuckled. Thought that was oh okay. Fun. <laughs> it's great, but overall, I mean, I have to say, like, I don't think these segments are really any better now that Alexa Bliss is a part of them. They're still either just, uh, I don't know, they kind of leave you not feeling anything, uh, or they're just like confusing. And I would say this was more maybe just not feeling anything, but I don't know. The yeah, I guess they're the same. Did you notice that Alexa? Withheld her news from Bray Wyatt. Well, uh, not on screen, but off screen, perhaps. 
She is engaged. That's what you're referring to? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. once Bray finds out about this, I mean, that, that has to be our next storyline. Well, there's nothing to suggest that they're in a romantic relationship. She's just that. No, but he, but he is protective control. of her. They, they, have, they have established the control that he has over her, and he's very protective of her. That doesn't have to be romantic. It doesn't mean she can't go and get engaged. Mm, I, don't, I don't know if that passes his test. Hmm. Maybe he's gonna come. Maybe he's gonna come to the Firefly Funhouse. She's gonna bring him home to introduce him to Bray, and then they're gonna have a man-to-man talk. And then when Ryan Cabrera asks any any advice, and he's gonna get the crazed look on his face and just go run. <laughs> SmackDown promo: Seth Rollins versus Murphy that they're playing up this week. The Hurt Business are in the ring. MVP puts them over. Lashley's going to squeeze the life out of vermin-personified Sami Zayn. Uh, then Shelton Benjamin, who had a hell of a time getting out the name of the potential opponents for Sunday, the Street Profits. <laughs> you said the Street Profit. Street Profits. <laughs> just kept going. <laughs> if he had just said Street Profit, like I would have been like, whatever. Like, one of them. Okay, you're going to face one of them. That's fine. Uh, it, it was a rough stumble for Shelton, you know, during a, like a pretty rare opportunity where he was able to speak. So, yeah, felt for him. The New Day come out, and these guys, they, these guys were team players because they came out, and they just were playing off of Shelton here. They realized, man, <laughs> this guy just swung and missed on live television. Let's... Let's cushion the blow. Let's deliver a worse promo. Like, Kofi, what <laughs> What are we going to do? Like, we don't have – we have our material here. Like, what's going to be our terrible promo? Follow my lead, Woods. And he said, the four of you are kind of like jerks. And then MVP went to speak over Kofi right as he was about to deliver the punchline, to which he called out, hey, I've got a punchline to say – Instead of the hurt business, you four jerks would comprise the jerk business. And MVP responded, was that, was that the punchline? Yeah, that sucked, dude. And this sucked. I saw this and I was like, man, did I miss a segment last week where like the New Day turned heel? Like, I felt like they were being intentionally unlikable here, Kofi and Woods. Um, and it continues the trend of like... Kofi continuing to come out here, not taking any of his competition seriously. I understand, like, the New Day shtick is like, oh, they love to have fun. You know, they're just lighthearted, power of positivity, all that. There's, I think, being positive, and then there's just being so positive that you're just obnoxious. And I just felt like that was more this, you know? It was intentionally bad, corny jokes. Um, You know, Hurt Business, on the other hand, like, they're determined. You know, they take every opponent seriously. They helped Rod destroy Retribution. So I just, I, I know who I'm cheering for in all this. They've also, throughout the night, they are promoting Orton and Drew with the tagline, a main event worthy of WrestleMania, that they were hammering you over the head with throughout the show. But that's what you should be doing for oh, a big, big, big main event. Like they should have called this the Tom Brady of Raw main event. That's essentially, I mean, this was Tom Brady going for his second Super Bowl ring against... Um, uh, who who would Randy Orton be in the NFL? Constantly getting fined and just sticking around for all these years, just can't get fired. Fuck, I don't know who. 
Drew um, Brees, is he a football player? Um, maybe he's a, uh, well, if we're going um, baseball, maybe he's a Justin Turner. The guy who ran no. onto the field? No, no clue. Okay, never mind. We're moving on. Sports references are done for the night. The New Day took on Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander. Uh, match went very long. They noted the clear improvements that Cedric Alexander has made after going to Hurt Business Boot Camp. I'd love I to. The, I would have loved I, to have seen this. Boot seen camp. the videos, yeah. The, the, there's the day of. Uh, anyway, went, went very long here. Uh, then picked up significantly uh, after first Woods gets a hot tag. He hits the honor roll. Alexander goes to the floor and then sl- uh, Woods slides over Benjamin, drop kicking Alexander on the floor. Uh, Benjamin makes a save after Kingston hits a missile drop kick. Then we had. This series of dives by Cedric to the floor. He hit these three consecutive suicide dives where the first two, I mean, this guy like was, I don't know if he had like a secret bet. Like, I wonder if I could like separate my shoulder. I wonder if I could do that because on the first try, I thought, hey, pay up. I think he did it. He then did a second one to Kofi that just nails Kofi into the barricade. It looked terrible. And then he goes for a third one, at which point Woods, like, saves Kofi. is like, hey, I'll take this one for the team. These were three brutal suicide dives by Cedric Alexander. I didn't know what the hell was going on here, but these look terrible. Yeah, I don't either. It's really uncharacteristic for Cedric, who's usually just uh, fantastic and perfect in everything he does. But each Topi here just looked uglier than the last. They look bad for him and t- crappy for the person who had to take these. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Just, I don't know. Uh, no well, maybe it's that boot camp. I thought I thought he was supposed to make improvements going to boot camp. Maybe he's got to go back. Kingston is thrown into the post. MVP is uh, screaming at his team. And then Kofi gets hit with the angle slam as Shelton gets a two count. Cedric's in, delivering a brain buster with Woods making the save. And then Kofi takes care of Benjamin with a trouble in paradise off the apron. And they hit daybreak onto Cedric Alexander. Uh, great breakfast spot in Toronto, by the way. And they win in 16 minutes and 49 seconds uh, to retain the titles and face the street prof, the street profits <laughs> at survivor series. Thanks Sheldon. Fantastic uh, tag team match, I thought, for TV, you know. Uh, yeah, the start was, yeah, I think, you know, your standard back and forth, building up to these hot tags between Kofi and Woods. But then I thought a great rush towards the finish, uh, perhaps, you know, scary Cedric Topes aside, but yeah. great-looking double-team move at the end. I thought it was just a good TV match. Yeah, I thought it really built for the finish uh, at the end, um, well, minus whatever was going on with Cedric. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought really a strong, like, Final couple of minutes as well in there. Seamus is with best friend Drew McIntyre. My favorite talk, part of Raw. <laughs> this is like the most deep friendship in three weeks that they have put together. Mm-hmm. Not only are these three like long lost buddies, but <laughs> Drew, your mother, she was like my own mother. <laughs> and Seamus has somehow gotten this giant chest, presumably from Scotland. I don't know if he, like, a couple weeks ago, like, rented a boat. What the hell he did. But he has brought this chest all the way over to Florida. UPS did, I bet. During a pandemic, it's got to be expensive, this whole thing. Jesus, yeah. And he opens up the chest, and 
It's all of Drew's keepsakes, including his kilt, stuff he thought he'd never see again. And then he turns, and there is Seamus to present him with the sword. The Claymore. The Claymore, yes. Imagine getting that through uh, customs. Jeez. Would you declare that? Of course you would. It's a weapon, dude. You can't bring that on a plane. Like, I don't know how you bring that over. Um, Very impressive here. A big chest with a big sword. And Drew got, like, really emotional. I actually like this because I think it gave you, like, throughout that main event, there were all these possibilities of it's it's I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it turned out it turned out well. But what is your immediate thought when you announce a big title match on TV? It's like, how are they going to screw us out of a finish? And you had Roman Reigns, you had The Miz, even Bray Wyatt, you could throw in there. And then you add this where this was so over the top that you're like, oh, my God, Sheamus is going to murder this man. Like you had all these potential things that could go wrong. And none of them did, but they were all lingering. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, that this is what they, they were intending on doing all these years, John, to make you think that you aren't going to get a finish. So by the time on November 16th, 2020, when you actually do get a finish in your big title main event, you're going to be surprised. It was a long they time. Got, they got us. Uh, I love these two. I'm going uh, I'm gonna dub them Dramus. They're my ship oh. name for these two. They're fantastic together. I love this segment where, like, man, Drew was great here at acting emotional, getting this this sword. But Seamus is the star of these. Like, his enthusiasm for this friendship is just awesome. He was so excited for this chest. And then the immediate pivot to, like, the very serious look of, here's your family sword. It's like... It's unlike anything else on this show. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, really, because you can almost look at this as sort of like Raw's answer to Moxley and Eddie Kingston. I mean, both relationships are stories that, you know... Revolve around the other's ma. Exactly. And also, yeah. and we didn't know anything about them prior to seeing them on screen together. And how do you establish, you know, a deep-rooted connection with somebody? I know your mother... I'm good friends with your mother. I've sat down and said grace with your mother. And they, they both pulled the mom card here. So I think they've both been very good. And I'm not necessarily even going to say one versus the other. One is better than the other. They can both be good. You know, it's it's not an either or situation. Um, I think, you know, this has done a really good job of doing more of a slow build towards probably an, an ultimate climax with them. Whereas Moxley and Kingston was more of like an intense from the get go type of story. Uh, but this, I think, can be very good, too. This, I, I think that, like, you you should still build on this a bit. Like, I mm-hmm. think you're at a point now where Seamus turning on him actually will mean something. And this is only three weeks. I think you could extend it. I, I think, like, this should be the Rumble match. Yeah. I think this would be the Rumble match, not the TLC match. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Maybe, maybe TLC, like, if you don't have an opponent ready... Put these two together. Mm-hmm. Like, put them as a tag team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'd love to see, like, the best friend thing continue before actually getting to the match. And, you know, the way... Uh, spoiler alert, everybody. Drew McIntyre wins. Um, you know, the way they had Drew basically, like, you know, use all of this stuff that Sheamus provided for him as motivation for tonight's win. Like, it was almost them crediting Sheamus for the reason why Drew won. And it that really just kind of will go into that much more... Um, 
of, of uh, depth, like when you're when you do build to a match between these two. Remarkable um, transformation from a man that was a uh, was shaming alcoholics not too long ago into this. Yeah. The best bud of your top baby face. Retribution cut a promo. Team Raw thinks that they are pawns. Well, <laughs> this this should be like the the tagline of Retribution. Even a pawn can dethrone a king. Even oh. even us little people, we can we can score a win every now and then. Somebody's been watching Queen's Gambit. It must have been clearly. Uh, the Raw men's team is everything Retribution despises. They're spineless cowards waiting to stab each other in the back. And just have to stand back. We just have to stand back and watch them fall. And hopes that their captain is ready to go down with the ship. It's hard for me to buy really any sort of like threat to any sort of retribution promos anymore. Um, they're just so much slower on the card. Like to me, they're almost like um, they're almost like a a disease that like we are almost like like that was once super deadly, but now we don't think is a big deal at all because like we've just like used science to develop vaccines for them. Like the retribution is they're polio. Exactly. Retribution is basically polio. It's like, Hey, I'm still around everybody. I'm still deadly, but everybody's just like, yeah, okay. We've got like way bigger problems to worry about now. Um, it's just like, it's, they're almost like the threat you're embarrassed that you were once afraid of. (laughs) Seamus riddle Lee and Braun. Let me see if I can do this. Fireface. Dopey, Broly, and uh, was it Mongoose? Was Braun Mongoose? I think so, yeah. Against Retribution. So AJ is uh, on commentary, and he's playing Peacemaker early on. Uh, AJ then gets shoved into Almus, and they almost came to blows. We come back. The advantage is on uh, Riddle for a while. I have learned... It's absolutely impossible to take anything seriously when Slapjack is involved. Like of I can, course. I can take T Bar, I can take Mace, Slapjack. It's like okay, this is just this is slapstick comedy. That's what this is. When this this guy, this is an adult male dressed up for Halloween, like he's a man child. That's what I see. Hey, the best part of this was like when um you had Keith Lee use Slapjack as a literal weapon. He was slapping <laughs> people was, with slapjack. That was great. He just swung this dude around. He was a literal slapjack. Um, Lee was good here. He just grabbed T-Bar and May, sent them to the floor, and then Ali hit Lee with a suicide dive. Lee is then destroying Ali. The others tag themselves in. Everyone argues. Everyone screams. And then Ali runs Riddle into Braun, rolls him up 12 minutes and three seconds. And AJ is livid. And... Stating what's going to happen on Sunday. It's like, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen on Sunday that win or lose, it's the same consequence of you four losing tonight's match. Nothing. There is nothing that you have won or lost based on tonight's match, and there is nothing to gain or give up on Sunday. I have no reason to care because I have no reason to care in this. Why are you upset about losing this match? Momentum? For what? I mean, isn't that the problem with, like, any Survivor Series in history? Right? Like, ultimately, everybody wants to win, right? Like, the unspoken, I think, um, answer to that question is, 
well, more money. You, like, you win something, you should get more money. And they, they never say that on TV, but I'm, that's sort of like what I, I've always assumed as a wrestling fan. So, do they need to say anything more? Like, do, you're, you're suggesting that they should have more stakes attached to all this? Not more stakes, any stakes. How do you do stakes? Like, Soul Survivor gets... What? The sole survivor gets, uh, he gets to keep the nickname. Everyone gets something. Okay. If AJ wins, okay, we can go through this. If Seamus wins, him and Drew get a tag title shot. If Riddle wins, he gets his first name back. Oh, so like you get wishes. Everybody gets wishes. Okay. Keith Lee gets, uh, gets his choice of music and ring gear. Yeah. Braun Strowman gets um, hmm. Raw Underground back. Yeah, I don't know if he wants that. And AJ gets Twitch. Oh, brilliant. Wow, I'm way more invested in the match now. Huh. I would care infinitely more, but you have to survive to get your wish. Oh, So yeah. they have to work together because if you get eliminated and you cost yourself a spot, you lose out on your wish. Yeah, I mean, we're you're. I think that's actually brilliant. I know you're like some of this is like you know uh, steeped in sar- sarcasm and joking, but like the idea, you're absolutely right. There should be stakes attached to every match, especially if it's like you know an important match that's being featured, like a Survivor Series match. Nikki Cross then tells Sarah Schreiber that that wasn't Alexa Bliss talking last week. Friends don't give up on each other, and she has to get away from the fiend. And then Sarah runs over because a very distraught Jeff Hardy is tearing down flyers. And that led to the greatest question ever. (laughs) Jeff, is there something about this flyer that makes you upset? (laughs) You seem distressed. (laughs) Is there something about this flyer that makes you upset? (laughs) So Jeff, in the most natural response known to man, repeats the question, is there something about this flyer that makes me upset? Sarah, yes! He believes Detective Hardy, the Hardy boy himself, without Frank or Joe's assistance, has deduced that Elias is behind this because the phone number reads 555-AMEN. So it's clearly Elias because his Photoshop skills are about as good as his music. Man, I I don't know if, like, this has always been the case with, like, these Jeff Hardy stories or if it's just this week that, like, it's kind of come to my realization, but it's like, Man, the lines are so ridiculous. Dude, Daniel Day-Lewis couldn't have pulled off this segment. Oh my god, this was like this was like a Tommy Wiseau like if Tommy Wiseau had control of Raw um and decided to write a storyline. It would be this Jeff Hardy segment and the one ensuing afterwards was really the peak of it. So please, please uh indulge us, John. <laughs> he, he literally had to recite the phone number 555 amen. Just imagine Jeff Hardy. If you did not watch this, this is the segment to watch from Raw. It was nothing. It was something else. No, it's the next one afterwards. Oh, there was more. Because after the break, the detective found the location of the perpetrator, Elias. 
he runs in. He's still got the flyers. <laughs> What's up with these flyers, man? <laughs> Dude, I was waiting for Elias to say, I don't know. I think like this, this upcoming season looks pretty good for Philly. He says he's looking for justice. And Elias is still looking for the man that did this to me. Which means maybe it's going to be a woman. Maybe it's going to be Becky's return. She tried to kill Elias. They've dropped the red-haired thing. They said that one week, and that was my theory, that it was going to be Eva Marie. Because they made it so clear, red-headed individual. Yeah. So we're going back to this. I guess this is like this is the most, <laughs> this is like the it's, least dramatic gonna, whodunit that they've ever done. It's going to be like, okay, anyway, please, please continue. Elias said he made the flyers, and Hardy grabs him, and... It really bothers him that he's being accused of something he didn't do, that he's been proven innocent over, and says, if I keep being accused of, I will end up being guilty of a whole lot worse. Wait for it. Can I get an amen, brother? No. I was just losing my shit here, laughing at this whole thing. I've been proven innocent, man. Like, it's, I I think this is really hitting the note where, like, it's just the right amount of over the top that I absolutely, absolutely love in my shitty wrestling TV show. Like, Jeff Hardy reads these lines so seriously that it just makes it so much funnier. <laughs> can I get an amen, brother? Like, like, you can envision these two seated in the same locker room after the they shot these scenes and Jeff just saying, we did something special tonight. Oh my god. Well like, that's you believe like this guy's like, you know, putting out some gold records here with this acting. Honestly, let's this is one of the my favorite things about Jeff Hardy. It's just like he commits himself to everything. Oh, whether, he's in. He's, he's not half assing this. Whether it's like diving off of a ladder through a table or if it's talking in his head <laughs> in impact. <laughs> like <laughs> the, hearing the voice in his head during a backstage segment in impact. Like Man, it's I I love him for it, and him like talking about vehicular manslaughter, um, flyers. Like you give any sort of material to this guy, he will give you a hundred and ten percent of himself. Um, so uh, this this has firmly replaced Rollins Mysterio as sort of like my so bad it's good guilty pleasure on Raw, and uh, I look forward to seeing a whole lot more. Why hasn't Elias pressed charges? Like, why is there no investigation into this? Like, this was attempted murder. I mean, not enough evidence, you know? Like, you know you know how police are, they can be very uh, busy, or I guess they just, I don't know. W- w- wouldn't he question, wouldn't he question Ali? Ali has come forward saying, I had SmackDown totally bugged. I had cameras everywhere. Wouldn't he be a natural person to question for footage? I mean, Ali's been kind of busy. And that's also to suggest that Elias actually wants to find out who the real person is. You know? For all we know, Elias could have set himself up. He hit himself with the car? Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's always possible. They are promoting the final farewell for Sunday with The Undertaker. Uh, Most times... Such a statement would be redundant, but in WWE, we do have to clarify this is the final farewell. Okay. All Not right. the first farewell. Well, I'll see it when I believe... I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. 
when I don't see it? No, you first have to believe it, then you'll see it. Okay. So you have to come to a place of acceptance that this is the final farewell, and then the pay-per-view will start. Mm, got it. The Miz and Morrison come out, another promo about water. Um, they suggest that instead of a match tonight, they have a peaceful solution with Bray Wyatt. He goes over their awful angle from last year that I've tried to forget. Alexa Bliss comes out. She's got like a crazy version of her theme. And her response to Miz's request, she says, no. And then Nikki confronts Alexa and says, he's bad news. He's bad news. And Alexa has a moment of clarity. She says, you're right. And then she destroys Nikki. She's screaming. And then like that, like a switch flips, she hears Bray's music and she's all smiles. And Bray comes out giving a death stare towards Nikki and then proceeds to come out for his match with The Miz. Happy to see these two continue their, um, I guess, story on Raw now with uh, Alexa versus Nikki. So, you know, I also really liked about the segment was Miz bringing up the story from like a year ago. When Bray Wyatt tried to torment his one-year-old with a doll. And then he was like, you did that to me. And tonight I made fun of you. So we're even. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's, I love it when they can make fun of themselves. And, and I, I mean, Miz cool. did state afterwards that maybe they're not exactly equal. I mean, he did note that. Yes. yes. Um, uh, breaking and entering and uh, trying to mentally scar my one-year-old infant versus... Uh, a wisecrack that I had at you. Yeah, how about even? So immediately, Bray is attacking with forearms. He sends Miz into the steps as he's yelling, don't you talk to her. So we're establishing the protective nature of this relationship. Mm, right. You know, uh, I think it was Miz who introduced um, Alexa to her fiance. He was, yeah, he was the matchmaker, I think, or at least somewhat involved in all of that. Yeah. Miz uh, fights back. He hits a DDT, but Bray kicks out at one. The sister Abigail gets avoided, uh, but then Bray catches him with an avalanche, running forearm smash, Uranagi, and then breaks Miz's neck. Morrison then distracts Bray from the floor as Alexa then leaps off the steps and takes Morrison all the way over the barricade. Bray is concerned with this as Miz attacks and then does his running clothesline into the corner. It has no effect, and Bray pulls him out. Sister Abigail, and he wins at 451. And then Alexa Bliss, doing her best, uh, Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 19, pops up from behind the barricade, smiling. And naturally, John Morrison is dead. Yeah, uh, yeah you would assume so. Uh, man, I, I think like mid-match here, you had like Bray Wyatt transform into the Fiend. That was the idea, right? When he got super serious, like did the neck-breaking thing. Like, anytime he stares down somebody, like, really seriously. Is that when he turns into the Fiend? Yeah, he had uh, he had his shift into the the darkness. Right. The rest of this match, I thought was, man, like, with the Miz control, in control especially, I thought was pretty weak. I mean, but that's kind of standard. Um, so, yeah. I, I think Alexa, like, even though she doesn't add a whole lot of difference to me, like, for my enjoyment of, of the Firefly Funhouse matches... I like her role as sort of like a ringside sidekick, you know, there to either... Um, Having her get involved physically, I, I like that. Yeah. I think she plays this character very well. Um, I don't know if this is like... Like, I'm not a big fan of, like, the Bray 
storyline that they have, the, the, the whole package of it. But I can appreciate the performances. They're very good for what they are. It's just, is this, is this enhancing the show or taking away from it? Um, I think it's something for her to do that's more notable than what she was doing before. It's a way to you know have her be a heel against Nikki Cross. It's something to I don't know slightly freshen up the fiend as well. Uh, but what was but what was Bray in this match? What was Bray in this match? What do you mean? Like you have this like heel or babyface? Like what what is the reaction you're trying to elicit from Bray at right now? Is this is this a sympathetic reaction, or is this, or is he this dastardly villain against the Miz? He he's he was a babyface, you know. Um, I I tonight I got the sense it was a babyface act, but I think it very much depends on who they're paired with. So the Fiend's music plays and shows up on the screen. The lights go out to end the segment. This is when Adam Pierce announces Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke are off. The women's team for Survivor Series, Lacey Evans, Peyton Royce, are inserted. Even though they lost the qualifying match. Well, they don't have anybody else. Okay, by process of elimination, they're in. Asuka gets interviewed. She's going to beat Sasha Banks. Oh, they, they aired a Drew versus Randy Orton video promoting tonight's main event that uh, was really well produced. Uh, Randy Orton was interviewed. Uh, he was asked, what is your confidence level? He basically told Charlie to get lost. I have a lot of distractions. Don't be one of them. Angel Garza did a whole promo about flowers. Talked about the roses you can find in the garden that have sharp thorns to protect themselves. The women are like roses in the garden, and he is the thorn protecting their beauty. And you can look next to you and ask if your man will protect you like a thorn, because he would, and this rose goes to you. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, as usual, I, I found these really uncomfortable and, like, kind of creepy, and uh, maybe that's the intent. Um, maybe he's forming a group with Mandy Rose and Shane Thorne. Oh, okay. Well, he, isn't Shane Thorne already... Tied up, isn't he? Slapjack. He's he's <laughs> he's occupied right now, but that could be changed at a moment's notice. Yeah, for his sake, I hope so. Naya asks why Shayna Baszler stomped Mandy Rose's arm so badly. Says we could have used Mandy and Dana on the team. This was awesome because Shayna then points out that it was actually Reckoning that attacked Brooke, uh, even though I guess she did stomp Dana's arm. So she stomped Mandy's arm, and that took her out. But when she stomped Dana's arm, Dana was still okay, but it was the secondary attack by Reckoning that took her out. Yeah, and then I guess the accumulated damage coming from the match as well. So Lacey and Peyton walk in. Lacey is not going to be pushed around. Peyton is much more agreeable. She wants to strategize, but then they take off. And Nia Jax says, this is the worst idea since Quibi. That was the the big, I think, uh, attempt at being relevant, <laughs> being modern on Raw. Yeah, taking a shot at a uh, a platform that has totally failed, uh, that WWE was briefly uh, providing content for. Shouldn't they have said tout? They've gone through the tout phase. Tout, tout's a pretty dated term these, these days. Yeah, how many people would even recognize tout? At least people know Quibi. That was like seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think these are just, 
I don't know what's really going on here with this like uh, last minute switch, but man, like building the whole thing around Shayna and Nia as these sort of like um, two bullies, I just I haven't enjoyed it at all. It's really taken Shayna Baszler down a notch for me. This entire t- team with Nia, I think Nia is just really just bad, like bad at at wrestling, bad at acting, and bad at <laughs> taking Quibi? COVID taking COVID seriously. Oh. Yeah, um, yeah. Nia Jax doesn't seem open to the idea of uh, when a vaccination becomes available, um, of taking one, uh, making it wonder uh, if Nia Vax is going oh, to be. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going, um, and you did not disappoint. That's a future character. Yep. Drew comes out in his kilt. He's all ready to destroy Randy Orton. And Man, we had the last half hour of the show for this main event. You know, Drew came out, of course, wearing this like Scottish outfit. He carried the, the Claymore sword there. It was awesome. I love this. This, like, honestly, I feel like he should have showed up at WrestleMania this year in this outfit with the sword. Sure, yeah. Any sort of like special entrance, you know, um, it, it, it's something that we expect for WrestleMania. It's not something we expect for Raw. So the fact that they did this and they even had a storyline reason for it, I thought it was great. You know, by the time this match finally arrived, I have to say, like, getting to this Raw was they not. They did a, a really good job building this up. Yeah, like, before this Raw started, I mean, like most people, I've been conditioned to not buy any sort of like serious outcome. So I wasn't really excited, but. As the show progressed, you know, you had promos from Drew. You had that great video package in the middle of it detailing their histories. And then you had, like, the uh, the grand entrance here from Drew McIntyre. By the time that the match started, it felt big to me. It did, yep. And I think they did a good job on SmackDown, too, setting this up, too, with uh, with Randy – or, sorry, with Drew and, and Roman uh, also. So early on, Drew's in control. Orton bails to the floor as he grabs his title and gets stopped by Drew, who returns – Orton into the ring and then sets up for the Claymore very early and Orton ducks and Drew takes this big back bump and this is the beginning of Drew injuring his back that he would sell all match long. Orton again tries to leave but this time Adam Pierce comes out and he makes this match no countouts, no DQs, there will be a winner as they go to break and by the end of this match, do you believe that we are going to get Randy Orton versus Adam Pierce? No, I do not. I, from last week, I mean, he puts his hands on him. This week, Pierce ends up pretty much costing him the title. I think they're going to at least do this on TV. Um, maybe. It just doesn't seem like they've ever positioned Adam Pierce as any sort of in-ring, you know, um, character, wrestler. I suppose if you do get a match, I mean, it would probably be just a really quick, you know, squash, right? Like similar to what Nia Jax did to Pat Buck, that type of thing. Um, it's just hard for me to see them promoting Adam Pierce versus Randy Orton as any sort of significant thing. But it's possible. Call up Dave Marquez, get some of that championship wrestling from Hollywood footage, and boom, former NWA champion mm. going up against Randy Orton. I don't know. I got the sense, like, based on this and the finish that... You know, they might they might go that direction. Orton then uses a chair once this has been made, no DQ, and he drills Drew in the ribs, and then he goes to put pressure on the jaw, playing off the, the previous injury uh, that he gave Drew. 
Then he drops Drew multiple times onto the announcer's desk, continuing to attack the back. Drew fights back, and he drops Orton on the desk. He sets up for another Claymore, misses Randy, and dude, this guy just wipes out going over the announcer's desk. This looked so uncomfortable. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, did not look fun. Superplex is delivered onto Drew's bad back, uh, but he comes back, backslide, Future Shock DDT, and then Orton gets sent off the apron through a table. And from this, his back is cut, and they do a big close-up of the blood streaming down his back. He goes for another Claymore, and it's countered with a power slam, and Randy's able to hit a draping DDT off the announcer's desk, hits another one in the ring, and as he sets up for the RKO, Drew avoids it, comes off the ropes, and hits the Claymore. And one, two, three, he pins Randy Orton, 24 minutes and 10 seconds. It took four tries, they noted, before he finally hit the Claymore. Uh, I, I thought this was a really good main event match. I thought this was... Very, very strong. They played off a lot of their history. You got the clean finish, and now you set up a pretty big match for for the Survivor Series on Sunday with with Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. You know, I I, I didn't even realize that that that's what this meant um, coming off of this show. But you're right. Like the the match that I think a lot of us thought that they might have been holding off for something like a WrestleMania, they're going to do this Sunday. So that is actually really huge. And I guess we could discuss, you know, whether or not. You think that was a good idea, but, you know, getting back to this particular match on this edition of Raw, I thought it was also a very good match. Um, I love the build, build up to this throughout the show. You know, like I said, by the time it started, I, I recognize this as like a feeling that I hadn't had for a Raw match in a long time. And that's that I was watching something of significance. They certainly telegraphed a whole lot about like, you know, the fact that you're going to get a title change. And again, it's not a bad thing. That's like Shawn Michaels coming down the zip line in WrestleMania 12 versus Bret Hart just walking out. You know who's going to win that match. And it's not a bad thing because it built up to the, the moment that I think everybody wanted to see at the end. So it, this felt like a pay-per-view level thing on TV. And I had always wondered, like, you know, ever since, like, um, the network became a thing and they, they started being uh, getting lucrative uh, deals with their television, how long it would take for them to, like, you know, pivot some of their big pay-per-view main events onto TV because you arguably, uh, you know, are getting more value from getting a good rating versus somebody subscribing to the network. And we, I'm surprised that we haven't had more instances of like them doing things like this. Um, but I, I do wonder like why the timing of this right now doing a title switch like this on television is because they wanted just to pick up the ratings a bit more. Um, but I certainly feel, feel like if it was successful t this week, I'm definitely all in favor of seeing more big main events on TV. It's just, you know, more significant events period on TV. Like this, by the end, felt like an edition of Raw that I felt rewarded for, for investing my time in, which is what I can't say for, for most. Yeah, I thought the Orton McIntyre stuff carried the show. I thought this was one of the better Raws in a, in a while. Um, you know, I've been more down on Raw, but I thought the Tonight Show, not to say this was a a glowing show when it comes to building up. Like, I, I don't think there's a lot of anticipation for the other Survivor Series matches, but mm -hmm. your, your key match, I think, I, I think for most people, like you're, you're getting Drew and Roman that I think feels like a big match. You've got the Undertaker stuff. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Oscar and Sasha Banks is uh, of note for you. Um, it, it's enough to kind of carry Survivor Series, but I would say those are kind of the standout things that they've promoted. The The elimination matches mean nothing to me. Survivor Series continues to be just a really awkward and difficult show to build to 
on your individual programs because you don't have any interaction at all between the, the, the various participants. Like Asuka and Sasha on paper is a big match, but I've heard Asuka say zero about Sasha Banks. Tonight, her promo consisted of her I'm say, gonna win. saying Asuka, like saying her name and a bunch of gibberish. Um, or like what combined to be gibberish between Japanese and English. So it's like that I think is just a flawed pay-per-view concept that needs to be addressed. I will say it was a positive to me that this year we didn't get any sort of under siege bullshit thing of everybody dressed in raw shirts versus people dressed in SmackDown shirts. Do you think Um, we get that on Friday though? I mean, it's possible. I just think it's so tired and does nothing. And it it makes everybody look really silly because they've shown no reason to have any sort of loyalty with one another. Again, no incentive for them to want to invade another team, you know? Um, so this year we're focusing definitely more on like internal strife between the, 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 the teams themselves. And in other cases, just, I guess, scenarios for dream matches um, that you might just be interested in on paper. So we have six matches for Survivor Series with McIntyre against Reigns, Asuka against Sasha Banks, New Day against the Street Profits, Bobby Lashley against Sami Zayn, and then the men's and women's Survivor Series matches, which on SmackDown, they have one spot to fill on the men's team for Survivor Series and two spots for the women's team. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, on the on the team SmackDown side of things, like you're not really getting any sort of character development for any of the three. Uh, and as I mentioned, like it's Lana of and Lana and Shayna and Naya as sort of like the the focused principal characters of the entire thing. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to change after SmackDown. I mean, for the men's team on SmackDown, we have not even gotten a segment of these four together. Mm hmm. Like, they're just these loose parts that will all come together for this pay-per-view. But whatever. It's uh, it's the Survivor Series. So let's go to some feedback tonight and see what everyone had to say. The poll got this one a 6.25. So Raw gets a pass tonight. Paul from New Jersey writes, Imagine if Retribution defeated the Hurt Business on the much-maligned October 19th edition of Raw. Survivor Series dissension angles can be monotonous, but AJ has been brilliant throughout all of this, and it has to be noted. Lana cut a pretty good babyface promo, and people have been talking about this angle, mainly what Lana will do at the pay-per-view. Lana deserves credit. Stoked that Peyton Royce is on the Survivor Series team, but taking Dana and Mandy out seemed oddly pointless. Maybe there's a plan. Felt like it took ages for the main event to start, but it was well worth it. I dare to say this was a very good show. 8.5. Would you like to see The Miz hold a world title again? I would. Um, Not now. No. Definitely, Definitely not now. Not in this incarnation. I mean, he would just be a character champion, like, or sorry, a comedy champion, you know, who would hold the belt temporarily. He does nothing at all to make you think that he's any sort of legitimate con- contender. Uh, and not to say a heel needs to. I mean, a heel can cheat once in a while to to retain the belt, but he's not even that. He's not even like Ric Flair. At like, <laughs> he's certainly not Ric Flair, but he's not even the type of heel who like will who will win occasionally and just needs to cheat a little bit in order to retain. He just can't even win, and he's being laughed at as just a, a total joke. So until they, they position him more seriously, no, I don't want to see it. We go to MJ who says, I expected non-finishes in the tag match and the, and the title match, and we got finishes in both. The team of Shelton and Cedric is good. I actually look, I actually look forward to, the, to like five more New Day Hurt Business matches. Title switch. Considering it happened at 11 p.m. Eastern, did the, the, the WWE do Drew a disservice by giving him the big win in the hour where most viewers drop off? 
I'll be curious what those ratings look like, but it feels like giving the title back to him would should happen at a pay-per-view and not in the third hour of Raw. Sure, I get the point is to keep an audience for a big title match, but when you've conditioned the same audience to expect non-finishes in such matches for on Raw for weeks and months, how likely is it they believe you when you really want them to? Also, I really enjoy the Alexa Bliss character. She's been pretty much great in almost every role they've given her. She has to be considered one of the best stories in all of the main roster call-ups they've ever done when you consider where she was in NXT. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, Do you think putting that match on at 11 was a mistake? I, I think obviously the goal was, and taking up so much of that third hour was, you know, it's an it's an attempt to hold the audience. I I don't think that's going to be the case, uh, but it'll be interesting. But like they they pushed that match very hard for a week and throughout the show. So to me, if if you can't see any like if if tomorrow's third hour is under one point six two million, okay, just throwing out that number, I would say. Like you're not holding people on because that's that's realistically the biggest thing you can do on Raw is build up a big title match with your two top guys and you deliver a, a title change, uh, and it still doesn't hold people. That tells me like you don't have an attraction that is going to keep people for that third hour, at least to that th- that degree. See, but to me, it's one of those things where I don't know if you can really read too much into a one-week result because they've conditioned people for so many years now at this point to not take the third hour seriously or at least not to take the entire show seriously because you're going to get the same level of content no matter what so why would you want to stick around for a third hour of it tonight was different so if they continue this trend of doing big events in the third hour or or just you know once in a while to train the audience that you got to watch the whole show or at least stick around for the for the very end because you're going to see significant moments like a big title change i think that's when you can really like determine whether or not it's successful or not um, because right and now, that's a, and that's a reversal over time of the viewing trends because you know it was it was always like it, of course like in the two hour era like you always peaked for that final segment because your audience knew the big angle the big match was in the final segment and it did and even when they they traditionally were doing like the three hour specials like that first hour would just bog them down because people were in the habit of tuning in at nine and knew that the big thing ended the show. And today it's like everyone tunes in at the beginning. Like that's where the viewership is. You know, the first hour is the big hour every week. And And that's what people are trained to. By the end of the second hour, everybody is so exhausted and without a hot main event to build towards, like what reason do most people have most weeks to stick around again? So I, you know, I, I do wonder how this week will do at the same time. Like, I would really love to see them continue the trend either way, even if the rating isn't great. Like, give just give me good, big, big moments on their TV show. All right. Next up, uh, we have Muggin. Muggin. Despite the tired brand supremacy trope plaguing Survivor Series for years, Raw came through with a decent go-home show. Lana constantly getting put through the tables has to lead to something on Sunday. New Day versus Hurt Business was a terrific match. I held my breath for the main event, fearing a Miz cash-in or a Sheamus interference would happen. Thankfully, it didn't. Drew McIntyre once again becoming champion gave the low-stakes pay-per-view a shot in the arm. You think this was always a plan? Or or do you think like it was like you know an, an in- instance where they're like, can't do Roman Reigns versus uh, Randy Orton. Let's let's do the big title switch. 
Uh, I, I don't know when they would have decided on this. Obviously, I, I don't think they're doing that promo on SmackDown unless they had decided they were going in this direction. So I would imagine it was it was by you know mm-hmm. last week that they had decided on this. And I think it was, you know, I'm I, I was fine with like you know Drew drops it and yeah, you do this. You know, I I think this was largely like let's let's do something big on TV. And in this day and age, I think that that's worth doing at, at times, like even more so than. Driving people to like the network number is going to be what the network number is going to be like building up a another Drew McIntyre Randy Orton match for TLC next month. I mean that's not affecting your network number. Like their priority should be television, and I think it's fine to do this every now and then. Good Alex from Portland who says that New Day promo was hot garbage. Woods and Kofi are definitely missing something with Big E not being with them. I'm disappointed that the winner of the greatest wrestling match ever doesn't have a spot at the best of the best showcase. Orton didn't need a lengthy title run, and McIntyre is the better champion right now, but it feels like WWE pigeonholed themselves. They never built up Orton and Reigns, so Drew got inserted relatively last minute. I'm not going to criticize WWE for changing the main event to a much hotter match, but imagine if Drew retained at Hell in a Cell and we knew for the past month that we were going to get both Hell in a Cell winners clashing at the next pay-per-view. Instead, Orton gets a title reign with zero successful defenses, and WWE changes the main event of the pay-per-view the week prior. Tonight went by easily enough, six table spots for Lana out of ten. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the big picture of it all, like Orton winning the belt from Drew... If the idea was to simply have Drew win it back from Orton, you know, a few weeks later for a big TV rating, like that doesn't seem like what they would usually do, you know, with their title changes, especially with somebody like Drew McIntyre, who they've been so protective of. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, sorry. I I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, you you take it off the baby face and you allow him to to chase for a few weeks and just, you know, to mix it up a little. you let him chase it, though. But you you build that chase for like a big moment. And traditionally, it's something that they would save for a big pay-per-view. I did not expect them to save it for an edition of Raw four weeks prior. So, again, it just like makes me wonder, like, if this was always a plan. Um, he also asks here, what do you think of the idea of the Undertaker being the final member for Team SmackDown? It's not going to happen. Let's not even entertain the idea. I mean, I guess it's You know what? I take it back. Yeah, it's uh, possible. I, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. So we're going to have the final farewell after the match? This will be the final. That could be the final farewell. I mean, it's very interesting. Like, how do you do this? Do you have him show up on Sunday as Mark Calloway or in the gimmick? He he made such a big deal out of that being his last match. And he's never going to step foot in, like, as a competitor in the ring again. All that stuff. They made a documentary about. Now he's just going to, like, come back in. Wait wait a minute. He didn't say that in the documentary. That was the whole thing at the end. He didn't commit to that. Yeah, fine. Okay. But, man, how am I? You're, You're trying to sell me on a show where this was supposed to be his last goodbye. And you're gonna go already go go like go back on a on a promise to retire that you just gave, you know, months ago. But okay, whatever. Sure, do it. Why not? You should win the title. How how do you use him on on Sunday? Is he just gonna come out out of character? No, he's got to come out with the Taker entrance one last time, and then um, I really think he'll be in full character. I don't think you'll get you know the Mark Calloway out of character speech until maybe it's the Hall of Fame. I think you get that one big Taker entrance one last time. Because if he's doing that, I think, like, at minimum, someone's got to take a tombstone. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you're getting that. Mm-hmm. So, um... So, um... Who, uh, who, who's... 
It's got to be. It's got. I nominate Slapjack. I nominate all of Retribution. Actually, you could throw in Elias. You could do. Yeah, you could do whatever. I mean, it's it's gonna be very bizarre. Like, I think that this final segment would actually be something incredible with with a full crowd, and you're still gonna get the sound, but it's gonna be very different. Like, uh, I yeah. kind of question. Like, it's really. It's just comes down to the the date. And it being 30 years that you're doing it here, because this is something that I think I would just play this card at a later date. I guess they felt like they needed a hook. Um, yeah. I and, Oh, it's because of it's the taker month thing, right? Yeah. I mean, the man, ultimately, all these talks for years of retirement, it comes down to, uh, hey, this is our programming schedule on the WWE Network. So it'd be great if uh, well, we could just... Tie it up. It's a great lead-in for your Austin interview. It's the 30-year anniversary deal, too, right? Well, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, it comes down to it being, like, the, the 30 years that you do it here. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's fine. Like, I think, you know, it'll be a big part of the show. Um, there. Yeah, there we go. I guess, do you think that they closed the show with all this Undertaker stuff? I don't think so. I think um, it's, it's somewhere in the middle or maybe even a semi-main, and then I think you probably, like... Well, logic will tell you that they should probably end with, like, Reigns versus McIntyre, but you're probably not going to get a finish for that match. Unless they prove me wrong again. You know, they proved me wrong tonight. But who would win, possibly? Is that when you get your Miz interruption, perhaps, and he takes the pinfall? Is that the whole reason why the Miz has the champ- uh, the money in the bank? He makes it a three-way, and then he eats the the loss. Oh, God, that's going to be so unsatisfying if that's their out. But I don't see them... Uh, unless there's some uh, th- there's some way that like Roman ends up pinning Drew, but it's under some nefarious means, uh, you you could do that. I I'm fine with that. Like if you beat one of them and it's to build to a rematch, mm-hmm. which it should. Like this should be like this big collision that you're left unsatisfied. This should actually be one where they don't they don't give you the big match with the big ending to it. Like it should. To, to yeah, build if done to a, right, you can build to something bigger. Well, to build to a rematch, the only logical like um, result is is the heel pinning the baby face, right? I think so. Yeah, but Drew also just won the belt. Like, can you see them having Drew even take you know a a, a bullshit finish this soon after winning it? Days. It depends. Like, there's there's different ways you could get around it. I would not be leaning on the Miz for that. I think that would be. It would be pretty unsatisfying if coming out of this, we're going to like Drew and the Miz for like TLC as his next opponent. But uh, you've got to you've got to get him into something for December. Yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. It's uh, certainly uh, interesting, uh, somewhat unpredictable. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, talk a bit more about it. Maybe a bit more of a full preview on Friday show with uh, John Cena, and then of course Sunday, I will be joined by WH Park and Mike Murray to review the entire show. Exciting stuff. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, you can go to postwrestling.com. All of the latest shows will be up this week with, with many guests. And uh, I guess that's it, everybody. Goodbye.